you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. So today I'm really happy to welcome Dr. Gavin Wood, president and founder of the Web3 Foundation, founder and CTO of Parity Technologies, and of course, Polkadot. Welcome to the show, Gavin. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, happy to be here. So I've been trying to make this happen for some time. We kind of finally, finally did it. Um, so I'm going to give it a shot. Polkadot is a scalable, heterogeneous multi-chain, and we're going to obviously unpack that a little bit later. Um, it allows for new designs of blockchains to communicate and pull security. Um, or more simply, Polkadot is a network that connects blockchains. Gross simplification, but again, we can expand that. Um, and you describe yourself as a free trust technologist. And again, that's something I definitely want to try to unpick a little bit later. Um, so there are obviously uh, many reasons why I wanted to get you on the show. But I guess firstly, given the title of the show, uh, you were the first person I heard to put blockchain and crypto in the context of Web3 um, as a distinct phase in the evolution of the web, um, and obviously different to Tim Berners-Lee's uh, original vision of, of Web3. Um, and I think this is a really good example of you being one of those people who is deeply technical, but also able to explain and contextualize things in a accessible way. And as I was doing a lot of my desk research, it was really easy. I just went onto a YouTube channel and there were some bits of content there full of sound bites. So I'm going to kind of reference loads of those back to you. Um, so obviously prior to Web3 Foundation, you were CTO and co-founder of Ethereum and inventor of the Solidity language. Um, when I put out the tweet to say you were coming on the show, I had the most inbound questions ever. Um, and they were all quite sensible, actually. Uh, no trolling, which was surprising. Um, but a lot of excitement and anticipation around Polkadot and Parachains. And as an accelerator, um, I've certainly noticed that we just had a call earlier today with our venture partners. They're kind of like scouts that, that go into various ecosystems and find startups. Um, they're also often analysts at VC firms and stuff. And they were all asking around, you know, are we investing in Polkadot-based projects? Have we found any? Um, what kind of niches and subsets are they operating in? Um, and so just for the for future listeners, this is kind of Q3, Q4 of 2020. There are already 250 projects working on or with Polkadot uh, listed on Polka Project. Don't know how up to date that is. Um, and as much as I would love to do a retrospective on you as a founder in Web3 uh, at Ethereum and, and everything else, I think it's probably a best use of the next 45 minutes to focus on the present and future of Polkadot. Um, so normally I would go into quite a bit of background into the person just to contextualize them and give them origins, but you're obviously fairly well known. Um, so I'm going to kind of cut straight into the, the more meaty stuff. But what I did think was interesting as I kind of look at your background was this theme around music and audio technology, which is something I didn't know about you. Um, so you did a state-of-the-art real-time musical audio analysis engineering environment uh, using advanced MIR algorithms, machine learning. You also researched, designed, and led the development of an audio portion of frontier developments in next-generation cross-platform gaming. So what was what was that background? What were you doing there? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, my PhD was in... Um, in music visualization, which was, you know, algorithmic music visualization. So coding up um, stuff to uh, analyze music and turn it into something that, that, that can help people understand what it is without listening to it, just, just sort of seeing it. I came at this from a, I love music and I want to kind of understand how it works, how I, under, how, how I experience it. And I want to, I want to turn that into something that's maybe more accessible um, or, or very immediately accessible, uh, you know, through vision. Um, and that, that was more from just the love of music and my, the fact that I tend to explain the world by, by writing programs. Um, 
Then, uh, you know, after that, I, I, I did go to, um, yeah, this uh, game studio um, to try and work on, on one of the sort of games that I, I sort of, I was assuming that they were working on. It turned out they weren't actually working on this game. So um, nah. that, was, that was sort of unfortunate. And uh, they were like, oh, but we see you've done a lot of um, audio engineering for your PhD. So why don't you write our next generation audio system? And it was like, well, uh, yeah, sure, I guess. Um, so, so I was, I was working on that for a year or so and, um, but it was really good. It was, it was, it was really a, a feat of engineering. It was, um, uh, particularly interesting for me because, you know, back in that time, which was like early 20, 2006, it was, you know, when the, the, the next generation consoles were coming out, air quotes there, um, in that uh, they're not really next generation anymore. They're, they're like two generations past now. Um, so the Xbox uh, 360, the PlayStation 3, and and the sort of general PC gaming. And, and the idea was to write something that was um, cross-platform amongst all three, which was itself like quite, quite a difficult thing to do, uh, but also um, that allowed you to write really quite interesting audio effects stuff um, and have it like utilize the, the very particular hardware that was in the PlayStation 3, this like um what was it called a cell processor and it had like these synergistic processing units that were a bit like a sort of gpu shader unit but a little bit more useful but not as useful as a cpu it was quite an exotic architecture and therefore something that to make something cross-platform was, was quite a lot of um thought and engineering behind uh but yeah it was it lasted me a year i, I had a great time and um and then I, I decided to sort of move on to other things well, I guess we, we might talk about creative industries and NFTs in the context of parachains a little bit later. It'd be interesting to get some of your thinking around that. Um, and uh, I guess worth highlighting the reason why it's Gav of York on Twitter is you did, uh, I don't know if you're from York, but you studied at University of York and a Master of Engineering Computer Science and Software. Are you from York? I'm actually from Lancaster, from the other rows. So a bit, a bit of a traitor to my oh, birthplace, dear. really. Oh dear, okay. All right. Um, well, that segues us quite nicely into Ethereum, I guess. <laughs> um, so you're, you're best known um, for being co-founder and CTO of Ethereum, 2013-2015. Um, you coded the first functional implementation of the platform, uh, authored Yellow Paper, the first formal specification of any blockchain protocol, which is uh, no mean feat. Um, and then in 2015, you founded and were lead developer, our lead developer at Parity Technologies. Um, and the stated mission anyway for Parity is to enable businesses and organizations to capitalize on blockchain technology. Now, obviously, um, uh, Polkadot's come out of that. That frames it as quite an enterprise hmm. pitch. Is that is that still relevant? Has it evolved? or It's evolved, yeah. I mean, it's um, we were always about using, you know, sort of this low trust cryptography, cryptographic, crypto economic, game theoretic kind of new systems in order to facilitate things. And certainly in the early days, it was in some sense about trying to use the Ethereum um, sort of technology set that, 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 that I've been working on for the sort of two years or so before um, to try to bring that maybe kind of to enterprise that was our kind of vague thinking at the time but it, it, it definitely morphed over time and we have had some um sort of enterprise wins um the world food program being sort of one of the one of the notable ones but um it, you know at the end of the day it, it's really about bringing this technology to market um bringing it to you know it, it's it's equally um in my mind equally applicable to both sort of individuals um, you know, and uh, kind of um, NGO kind of style organizations and uh, enterprise and corporates. Yeah, I mean, and having also spent far too much time trying to convince enterprise that they should be thinking about Web3, I think it's na naturally you go where there's the point of least friction and clearly there's this, you know, growing new digital economy um, where there's a load of demand. So um, you also co-founded of Grid Singularity, uh, also founded in 2015. Was that linked to Parity? Was that one of the enterprise plays? Because that's obviously linked to the energy sector. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, at the time it was the uh, the idea of being, I don't know, partners is a, is a bit of a loaded term, but, you know, kind of being well, um, it, moving in, in, in line with each other, being well aligned sort of entities with grid singularity, obviously, yeah, being the, in the energy 
uh, particularly green energy sort of industry, um, trying to use the software, trying to use the tooling that we did. Um, and there, yeah, there was some success there. I mean, EWF coin sort of came out of that, the Energy Web Foundation. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I think to a large degree, we, we kind of went our, our way with Polkadot. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I think there's still going to be some level of collaboration going on. I mean, EWF, uh, EWF uh, chain is using our old uh, Parity Ethereum at the moment, now Open Ethereum. Um, but I think there's a lot more work that can be done in that direction. And, and I, you know, look forward to, uh, you know, uh, Parity sort of, you know, helping steward that. Well, I mean, so then we move into founding of Web3 Foundation and there's, with Polkadot, there's just so much going on there. There's so much to do. Clearly, that is going to be a huge part of your life. So the the kind of descriptor for the Web3 Foundation was to safeguard decentralization. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I think, you know, in, the, in, this, in this sort of odd world we live in, there's an increasing... Um, you know, the internet sort of came about and it's great. And it had this sort of um, tagline of, you know, it's going to decentralize everything. But actually what, what we ended up finding was that although the internet in some sense is sort of a decentralized, technically speaking, decentralized system, um, it, it very quickly became sort of subverted and co-opted for these um you know, heavily centralized entities, even perhaps more so, you could argue, than than uh, business entities, corporates, enterprises, and so forth that exist in the sort of meat space world. Um, and that is uh, that is why I think, you know, that's why I would argue that the internet, as you know, in and of itself, doesn't really have an opinion on decentralization or not. It, it's just a layer. It's just a sort of a medium on which we can build, um, you know, sort of communication, digital-based uh, organizations. And what we actually need, if we want to utilize some of the advantages of decentralized systems, um, then we actually need, um, you know, specifically decentralized systems to sit on top of it um, that, that deliver those advantages. Otherwise, we'll be at, uh, uh, you know, will be bound by the same kinds of social systems that we've had up until now, which are very much trust-bound systems that deal in terms of intermediaries and global reputations and, you know, established actors and not anything um, that's really sort of riffing off the the, um, the advantages of, of being decentralized. Yeah, and I've heard you use this term, I don't know if it's yours, but if it isn't, you should just claim it, that commoditizing trust. So the idea that blockchains as trust systems can commoditize trust. And is that linked to this free trust technology kind of tag that you use to describe yourself? Yeah, because trust is a, is a weird term. Do people think of it as a good thing? It's like, oh, yeah, I trust, I trust uh, my government. That's a good thing. But the thing is, you shouldn't have to trust your government, right? There should be enough checks and balances in place. There should be enough transparency in place um, that, uh, that you yourself don't actually need to trust them because you can check or you can find someone that that, that cares that you that you have a good relationship with and have them check um unfortunately you know it you know for most people trust still does remain the sort of the good thing the ideal thing um and so when you talk about things like free trust it, it doesn't trust free trustless it, it, it's like hmm. You know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Do I want to have a trustless relationship? I mean, I, yeah. I, I like I like being able to trust. Um, but yeah, uh, commoditizing it is is the other sort of way. I think this is this is sort of maybe a little bit more what enterprise how they think about how about trust because they understand what commodities are. Um, you know, nice commodity marketplace. You know, you can you can really sort of bid each other down. You get good prices. Um, and it's it's sort of the same thing. The idea is that you it's not trust itself that you're that you're commoditizing per se, but it's it's the replacement to trust. It's the thing that means that you don't have to trust. And by introducing this, you can kind of you know it's almost like you can say you've commoditized trust. You've turned it into something that isn't special anymore. You don't need to go through the handful of banks to do your financial services. You don't need to trust your government in order to to know that your vote is being counted or whatever the you know everything else. 
And so with the Web3 Foundation, I mean, a big part of that is advocacy just generally for Web3. But of course, the big thing that's come out of it is, is Polkadot. And of course, it's a collaboration between Parity, the Web3 Foundation, and the wider Polkadot ecosystem. Um, but, you know, the, the, the I guess the mission, understanding the mission behind Polkadot, the, the why Polkadot is kind of linked to this um, this mission around extending uh, Web3 and its reach. And I think you've taken a really novel approach to bring it to market with Kasama. And again, I want to kind of unpack that a little bit, the decisioning, the rationale behind it. Um, but Mainnet went live relatively recently, May 2020. I'm sure it probably feels like a lifetime ago uh, to you. Um, but if we look at um, Polkadot in the context of your journey at Ethereum and, and then looking to move forward, I heard you kind of describe it as um, there's initial thought exercise that, you know, what would a greenfield uh, ETH2 look like? And that was kind of the, the genesis of the thinking even currently at, at Ethereum. But why did you feel it important for Polkadot to exist as an extension or separate to Ethereum? Um, well, I mean, you know, part of it was through impatience. Like we have a, we had a great team. We, we wanted to do something. We wanted to build interesting stuff. That's what people want to do. That's what developers want to do. Uh, you know, the good ones are the ones that are sort of curious. They want to explore. They want to, you know, it, it's not a question of why do it. It's a question of why not do it. If it seems like an interesting idea, then, you know, let's just, let's just go and implement it. You know, it, it doesn't take that long and we can try it out. We can experiment. Um, and it's for the just for the pure joy of, of curiosity and experimentation. And so part, a big part of it was that it was like, you know, look, here's an here's an interesting idea. Why don't why don't we run with it? And it's if it works out, it could change everything. Or it, it, you know, in any case, it's sort of a, a new thing. This idea of a multi-chain, heterogeneous multi-chain. It's a new thing. No one else is doing this. So maybe let's go off in this direction, see what turns up. And, but yeah, I mean, it, it, we didn't want to like hang around forever waiting for, you know, ETH2 design to land. I mean, it's what, I don't know, four years later or something, and it's still not really nailed down. Um, you know, in that regard, I don't re regret anything. <laughs> like it was, like, yeah, of, of course we should have gone off and do our own thing rather than wait another year and another year and another year. Um, and for me, it was also about trying to mitigate, like trying to minimize, um, what how much we're doing we didn't want to do every like you know you can imagine everything we wanted to really just create this the core of the platform initially um which is you know partly why we didn't try and do something as big as like a huge sharded smart contract platform where it, it does everything that the existing platform does um really we wanted to break it down to just the 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 the, the very yeah the very core of the platform and let other people build on it so really, it was more like an innovation engine than than a full on like um, user platform. It almost felt like an antidote to what we were seeing happen in the wider um, Web three ecosystem, where we were seeing um, isolated legal systems creating these false barriers, these silos between blockchains. Um, and you described it as Polkadot as a um, a bet against chain maximalism. And this idea of sovereignties again, I've heard you talk about. Um, Web3 in the context of sovereignties, and also this shift away from purely thinking about token, tokenization, blockchains as currency and kind of economics, but to becoming more political and decision-making. And I guess um, what you're talking about there, this inability for one of these systems to adapt quickly enough was as much a political problem as it was a technical one. Is that a, a, a logic that follows into some of the thinking around Polkadot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see like really blockchains are, are about allowing people, maybe even machines to, you know, govern their interactions, to have rules over their interactions and allowing those interactions to happen without the need to trust each other, uh, the good expectation that of what, what the ramifications will be of any given message or transaction or, or, you know, action instruction. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, one of the ways that you can interact is send money, send value, right? That's one of the ways you can interact. And that's what the web Bitcoin came from. It's like, yeah, we'll send this this 
number, this piece of value, um, this 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 scalar, you know, it's, it's just a single number between people. Uh, but that's that's just one of you know myriad ways that people can interact with each other. Um, and it wasn't long after Bitcoin that you know I don't know if you remember like 2012, 2013, uh, there were like coloured coins, and it was like um, you know you can. Um, color these bitcoins to be like not just bitcoins but like red bitcoins or bitcoins that represent dollars or bitcoins i don't know that represent some piece of some asset and it was sort of like the initial version of of nfts i suppose but they had they happened sort of on the bitcoin blockchain itself and there was special software that would analyze the bitcoin blockchain in order to pull out whether you know there's particular bitcoin had a particular color and therefore a meaning aside from the fact that it was a bitcoin um and and of course afterwards, like after that, there was Ethereum. People were like, oh, we could interact with each other in you know kind of smart contracts, and we can create rule sets by which we uh, you know, fairly arbitrary rule sets uh, by which we sort of play a game with each other on 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 chain. Um, and in the end, it's like this is all about allowing people to interact with each other, and, and nothing like it's it, it's it's as general as that. It's got nothing to do with currency per se. Currency was just a use case. And in my mind, governance is really just another very basic, like currency form of interaction between humans. So this like collective decision making um, is is really and and the means by which a collective makes a decision. Like, is it a vote? Do you randomly choose someone? Do you do a combination of the two? Do you have like hierarchies? There's all sorts of questions, you know. And this is all stuff that has been like debated for for millennia. Um, and it's and now we have this like really awesome technology that allows us to take the fruits of these debates and um, make you know really whizzy, fast, sophisticated systems, allowing us to um, to become like collectives and, and govern ourselves. So a lot of for me, it's like currency, DeFi. I mean, you know, it, it's fine, it's interesting. You see it working. It's kind of like you know, okay, fair enough. But like the more general thing is like these social systems and finding and experimenting with new ways of pe allowing people to organize uh, themselves with each other is, is also one of the very exciting frontiers of this technology. And you describe that as agency and you talk about Polkadot in the context of full agency. So if you look at that evolution of, of use case, you have, you know, you call it tokens, the three C's of tokens, commodity, like digital gold, currency, like Ethereum, ETH, um, and then corporation, corporation, you know, around this kind of governance context. So um, maybe that's a good way, a good point to start going into Polkadot itself and to try to unpack this scalable, heterogeneous multi-chain idea. Well, okay. So... <laughs> Um, yes, Polkadot is a, a scalable heterogeneous multi-chain. It's like the scalable heterogeneous multi-chain. There are no others. Um, what does it mean? Well, um, basically, it's a multi-chain because it's made up of multiple blockchains. So that's the easy one. You can you can you know take Polkadot, compare it to a hundred blockchains, and it's it's sort of got a bit in common with them, right? It's like a Polkadot can also be, we hope, a hundred um, blockchains. So then it becomes scalable and heterogeneous. What does these mean? Well, the heterogeneous basically means each of those blockchains, each of those 100 blockchains um, can have arbitrary transaction processing logic. So some of them might be like Bitcoin, UTXO-based, um, very simple scripting language, basically lets you send a, uh, an amount number between, between the participants, between accounts. Um, another one, another example of uh, business logic would be the Ethereum blockchain's business logic, smart contracts. Um, so this is where you know I have an account-based system, and you uh, an account can be just like a whatever a secret key, public key pair, or it can be a smart contract, a little computer program um, that that sort of runs its instructions when you send it some funds, when you ping it uh, with with a transaction. Um, now these are fundamentally these are quite different propositions, but they all fit into the blockchain metaphor, right? They all, they all basically, um, they all process transactions. The transactions all do something um, and they have some state, right? They have a Merkle tree, put it in a Merkle tree as cryptographic data structure. So they have some state that they maintain, the transactions come in, they flip some stuff in the state and then, and then the next one comes in and so on and so on. You bundle them into blocks, that's a blockchain. So crucially, um, in Polkadot, these, these 100 blockchains or so um, 
can each have different business logic. They can each be really good at doing different things. Like, like Bitcoin blockchain is really good at like being Bitcoin, basically uh, uh, passing uh, currency between accounts. Um, the Ethereum uh, blockchain is better at, at handling smart contracts. Um, and there are others. There's like Namecoin, which is really good at doing registries and a, and a few others. And the point is that um, you, you know, it's not enough to just to have a Turing complete blockchain in air quotes again, um, because you, you always have to make these design decisions, these, these trade-offs, these design decisions. Um, how is it Turing complete? How do you manage things like resource metering? Um, how do you guarantee that there isn't any any spam or that one smart contract doesn't just take everything up? What language do you use for the smart contract? Um, how do you manage transaction queuing? How do you manage the priority for transactions? All sorts of these design decisions, these trade-offs that you have to make, and it's um, and the point is also as you become more general, you necessarily lose efficiency. Yeah, your performance gets down because just like basically any any part of computer science in any part of engineering, um, general generality costs you stuff. It's like a CPU might be very general, but you don't want to do 3D graphics processing in it particularly. You want to push that off to a specialized unit, the GPU. So that's that's basically why it's heterogeneous. These, these different chains can each do different things. And then it's scalable. Um, scalable is one that, that you might sort of, um, a lot of people get confused about scalability. It's like, well, if it's a multi-chain, surely it's scalable. You've got 100 blockchains. It's like, well, it's not enough to have 100 blockchains because 100 blockchains, like, there are 100 blockchains. It doesn't make blockchains scalable. What makes it scalable is if you've got 100 blockchains and they can all talk to each other and, very importantly, they don't fight each other over the very scarce resources of security, right? So security of a blockchain is, um, for a proof-of-work blockchain, it's basically mining power. For a proof-of-stake blockchain, it's basically capital, right? Now, both of these things are things that if you're using on one chain, you basically can't use it on another chain. Now, there's something like merge mining where you can try and argue that, well, the same mining power could be used for both, and it kind of works, but there's all sorts of tangly issues with, with doing merge mining. Um, but in general, these resources cannot be shared between chains easily. And what Polkadot does is it says, right, well, we will scale these, I mean, Polkadot's proof of stake, so it's, it basically means we will scale this capital across these chains. We'll do it in a way that is super easy to do. Basically, validators just run Polkadot, and Polkadot manages all of the security of all of these um, all these 100 chains that make up or so whatever. I, I don't want to I don't want to like say 100 chains that ends up being 99, um, but you know, 100 or so chains that makes up the Polkadot community. And so you talk around this emphasis on governance and upgradability in, in the context of combating forking. Um, could you talk through that a little bit? And then also this um, reference to agency, how you are um, full agency as a, as a system. So agency is about is, is really about a sort of economic concept, and it's the ability for a given system to make its own decisions, to sort of take control of itself. Um, uh, you know, it's sort of the difference between a rock, which has no agency, it just sort of sits there and does its thing, and uh, let's say a person that, that has agency in that they can decide what they do with their day. Um, now, some systems are designed to be rocks because rocks, are, you, can, you can reason about a rock. You can say, right, well, you know, it's shaped like this today. It's probably going to be shaped basically the same way tomorrow unless some very large person with a big sledgehammer comes along and starts smacking at it. Um, you know, it, it stays the same. You know, people like things that stay. That they, they've, if, if, it's, if it's for a particular um, purpose, such as, let's say, um, uh, managing your assets, um, if you buy a part of a rock, you can be pretty sure that it's going to remain part of a rock. Like if you buy a lump of gold um, or a piece of a lump of gold, then you can be fairly sure it's going to be the same piece tomorrow. The reason is that gold is very stable. It, it, as an element, it doesn't really react with anything. Um, and, you know, this level of, of, of stability, um, uh, of constancy is very important under certain circumstances. But the thing is, it also means it doesn't adapt. If it's gold, it's always going to be gold. And if for some reason the world changes, you know, if you find a meteor that's just 
hold you know 50 billion tons of gold then the existing gold on earth will be worth very little because we've got so much more gold that we just suddenly managed to discover if the basically the point is if the environment changes and it always does in such a way uh, that it's disadvantageous for this for this system for this thing um then uh, it, it's going to eventually become um obsolete um irrelevant and we're kind of already seeing that with blockchains of the past ones that really have found it very difficult to change. Um, Bitcoin probably will survive, but primarily simply as, as a currency that enough people have bought into. Um, but it's questionable with any of the other blockchains whether they can seriously um, argue that they could survive over time, given that they don't really have any way of adapting to changing circumstances. And those changing circumstances can be very simple ones like, well, another blockchain comes along that can do everything but bigger, better and faster. Um, and what agency does is it says, right, well, well actually, we're not going to be a lump of rock or a, or a nugget of gold. We're going to be, um, you know, sort of living, breathing corporate, if you like, or, 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 or human-like entity. We're going to be able to make our own decisions. We're going to be able to change ourselves um, for the better. We're going to be able to adapt, right, and evolve. And this is, I would argue, you know, absolutely critical in a, in a fast-moving world where you know things are changing, where technology is changing, uh, the environment is constantly changing. Uh, unless you really are sort of basically your raison d'etre, your your USP is to be something that never ever changes. But there can only be a few things, right? If if you have a thousand bitcoins, there's only going to be one of them that that is the one that people actually bother buying into because you don't need a thousand things that none of which change. Um, there can be one thing whose USP is to not change, um, but everything else basically is is stuck in a race, and uh, and you have to find you know what it, what it is. Uh, you have to either adapt or find what it is that, that you, that's special about you. But it's probably not going to be that you don't change. And how does that practically uh, play out? Because I understand it is agency in the system as a whole, but then also in a power chain. So you mentioned this this number, whether it's ninety nine or hundred of blockchains that comprise. The Polkadot network, um, they're called parachains. So does that agency then extend down to the parachain level? Um, well, yeah, absolutely. So the idea is that parachains are, are just as um, able to make their own minds up about what they are uh, as the relay chain, as the Polkadot main chain. Um, and they're, they're both based, I mean, th there are two main things, I, I think I probably covered it, two main things um, uh, that, that will give you agency. The, the first thing is uh, you have to have some way of actually changing yourself, like actually kind of making decisions and enacting, the, uh, well, no. they have to have some way of enacting decisions. So the, those decisions um, are uh, are about how, how you should alter yourself into the future, then great. Um, the other thing is you have to have a way of making those decisions, right? So it's the, the two halves. You've got to be able to make a decision and you've got to make sure that that decision actually gets um, enforced, enacted, whatever. And um, we've seen systems that can make decisions without them being enforceable. And, um, you know, we haven't seen many systems that can, uh, you know, actually enforce or, or enact decisions without any way of actually making them. Um, but decentralized systems have a slightly more uh, cumbersome, complex problem, which is that, um, there isn't like a CEO or something, a CEO of Bitcoin or a CEO of Ethereum. There kind of is a CEO of Ethereum, really. But um, there isn't a CEO uh, of, of most of these systems, uh, in theory at least, uh, that can that has the um, that has the ability, that has the uh, the authority to make that decision for the network because it's a decentralized network, right? Lots of different people, all politically different alignments. Um, so it's very difficult for them to you know, on the face of it, come to any decision about how they should change en masse. And that's where we have governance, which is this way, the, the algorithm, the processes um, for how to make decisions. And then separately to that, we actually have to enforce them. So Polkadot allows both of these things to happen. It has governance, governance systems based largely on pre-existing governance systems, um, bicameral, tricameral systems. Um, and also it has... Uh, what we call like this WebAssembly um, sort of upgradable um, uh, meta protocol, right? So um, meta protocol, very simple, uh, very, to unpack that very quickly, is um, 
we have the we have a protocol, protocol like Bitcoin, protocol like Ethereum. A meta protocol is a protocol that sort of sits underneath as like a, a, a higher degree sort of thing that the other protocol um, works on top of. And the idea is that the meta protocol for Polkadot is doesn't actually include any of the important stuff for Polkadot. All it does is it includes a means of interpreting what it is that this other stuff that, that is Polkadot should actually do. So what we do is we put a computer program encoded in WebAssembly onto the chain, and then all that Polkadot does, which is a meta protocol, is run that computer program, right? And that computer program, which is defined on chain and therefore is eminently changeable and adaptable and evolvable, um, that computer program contains Polkadot. And we've already demonstrated this, I don't know, 20 or so times, how we can change this computer program, the Polkadot, we call it the runtime, which is a bit of a dodgy naming, but never mind, um, how we can change this computer program and show how this changes the fundamental business logic of Polkadot. Um, and we do it because it's stored on the chain, it, it piggybacks on our existing consensus. So we don't need that basically like you know, if you do hard forks, you might have heard of hard forks, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all that sort of stuff. If you do hard forks, you have to get everyone's like individual permission, basically. You have to go to all the miners. Hey, you're going to actually upgrade because if you're not, then the network's going to like have a fork and it'll be really problematic. And as we saw with the classic fork, it's like not always so easy to get everybody on board. Um, and what what we do, because it's because this sort of code is stored on the chain itself, we can guarantee that everybody is on board because it's just part of the protocol, part of the meta protocol. The, the actual nuts, the real stuff is, is, is written in this language. That's the real pro Polkadot stuff. But the, the stuff that, uh, because it's a meta protocol, the stuff that, that defines Polkadot is on the chain, stored on the chain in this WebAssembly language. Great. So um, it's also really interesting how you've brought Polkadot into the wild. Um, again, quite a novel approach. So initially, you launched the Kasama network, which is still live. I don't know if that was regarded as a test net. Could you, could you explain that approach? And what is the future of Kasama? Does it coexist alongside Polkadot? How do they interact? Sure. So Kasama is a canary network. Um, so what, what we mean by this, it's a little bit like Litecoin compared to Bitcoin. So it's not a test net because it actually has um, people, people value Kusama tokens. Um, um, it has a value like, you know, if you look at the Bitcoin test net, it doesn't have a value. Like you can't buy Bitcoin, test net Bitcoin on exchanges. Although I think there was actually a time where you could buy a little bit. But anyway, um, the... The reason I call it a canary net is because it, it sort of does everything before Polkadot. So when we have big changes to make to Polkadot or interesting sort of experiments that we think are probably too interesting for Polkadot, too experimental <laughs> for Polkadot, then we put it on Kusama. We put it on this canary network, try it out. And the reason it's not a test net is because, uh, or the reason it, it doesn't, you know, we don't want to do it as a test net is because a lot of these experiments rely upon people actually treating um, the underlying sort of tokens or the network with with value. For example, if you have a governance system, you can't test the governance system out on a test net in any sensible way because nobody cares what happens, right? It, it's a test net. You can always restart it. it does, like no one has any long-term um, uh, uh, sort of uh, meat. There's no hard incentive or disincentive to the game, right? Yeah. If you want to test how a game plays out. Yeah. That's it. So um, another way of, of calling it, it would be like a value-bearing test net in that we are kind of using it to test, but we're using it to test in a real-world scenario. So yeah, Kusama is basically a sort of real-world experimental test net um, uh, with, with value on it um, uh, for Polkadot. And we absolutely uh, want to keep it around. It, it's, it's a really important piece of infrastructure um, for Polkadot's sort of continuing evolution. We don't want to roll stuff out on Polkadot before we've tested it on Kusama, before we've seen how it works in the wild. Yeah, and that makes sense, of course, as there's increasing economic load on Polkadot um, to kind of somehow separate or partition, I guess, risk from innovation and experimentation. So um, let's come back to the, the parachain concept. 
um, this idea of a hundred blockchains within within the blockchain. Um, so parachains are specialized shards of Polkadot um, that give projects and their communities agency, this word agency again, over their respective goals. Um, you mentioned that the number hundred could be 99. Is the idea that these would be um, specialized to particular use cases, industries, stakeholders, or are you kind of just leaving that open to the market to decide? Bottom up, yeah, uh, very much. So we have, um, and they're like these these hundred slots. I mean, I, I don't know how many they're going to be really, but um, we we hope we're, we're sort of aiming around a hundred. Um, and there are a few things that these slots could do. Obviously, part a number of these slots are, are going to be uh, system parachains, so they're going to handle things that are fairly intrinsic to Polkadot and do stuff that is kind of. Um, in the, in as we say the common good um uh, sort of functionality that is, that benefits everybody on the polkadot network and nobody sort of disproportionately um so that's that's the one sort of set of slots and i i would think maybe five or ten parachains are going to be used like five or ten percent of the slots will be used for this um then we've got um para threads uh these use up slots uh, but they they do so in a sort of resource sharing way. So it's sort of like a time slice. It's like a timeshare. Um, uh, projects can come and, and one block at a time, use one of these slots for their project. And then the next block, some other project uses this slot. So the idea is that there's probably going to be, I don't know, a few of these, a few dozen perhaps slots given over to um, to, to uh, allowing power threads to execute. And then the, the rest will be um, sort of auctioned off in this in this auction system that we've come which is basically it's not really an auction because you don't really pay anything uh, it's lease it's sort of a reverse auction for, for is it a re no sorry it's not even a reverse auction it's just a, a standard auction uh, but for um leasing leasing these slots and you, you put your money uh, you put your dots in and the dots kind of get locked up along with the parachain for the period uh, that you're actually using up the slot and they get unlocked once you're done um and yeah, it's what what's going to be in those slots is is really tough to say. And we are very much up for leaving it to the market. We don't we don't have a big we obviously we see some projects and we have an idea of of the sorts of hot hot things that people are itching to deploy. But um, we don't have for these bunch of slots any any sort of um, desire to to control or, or whatever what what goes in there. And do you think that there will be network effects within parachains? Do you think there's going to be a period of competition? Um, so we'll talk about the idea of IPOs in a little bit, initial parachain offering. As you were saying, you need to have a certain amount of dot to be able to participate. And so people might might crowd crowd fund, crowdsource, crowdfund um, dots in able to, to, to bid. So they'll have to presumably, if they don't already own enough, they'd have to demonstrate to the community that they're going to bring value to the Polkadot network. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, we had Betty of Akala network on and, you know, it's very much their mission to be the DeFi um, parachain. Like, do, do you think there will be um, a period of competition and then it will it will kind of coalesce into a form of network effect or do you have any feeling on how that might play out? Um, I, I think there's probably going to be, uh, not really, you know, I think there's probably going to be a few um, chains that, that launch. I think there will be uh, a lot of kind of semi-general purpose chains. So chains that have um, a rough direction that they go in, but that also have like a smart contract uh, framework on them so that they can kind of host other stuff. And they end up kind of just, evolving into whatever um, the market needs i think there will be network effects within the chains and i think there will be um eventually kind of partnerships between these chains i think we will see um sort of wormholes going between the chains where it becomes very easy to interact between certain subsystems within these chains um, for example you might have decentralized exchanges that exist on on uh, multiple different chains and they every five blocks or something they kind of just equalize out so that they um you know they they, they move their prices uh they equalize their prices between them i think i think we'll see a lot of um a lot of innovation um and it's always difficult to say what what's gonna come out of this um it may end up being that you know over the course of the next six 12 months 
um, we we kind of see an almost um, polka dot, what would you call it, um, consortium or, 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 or mafia almost form amongst some of the bigger parachains kind of building up their, their systems, um, uh, integrating their systems between each other, forming partnerships uh, and so on. But I, I think, I, you know, there's enough slots so that it's not going to be, you know, I think we will see continuous um, uh, refreshing, continuous uh, sort of churn of applications coming in, and especially with para threads that allow, um, you know, sort of uh, short-lived or or, or, um, or sort of experimental um, uh, platforms and, and dApps to to be sort of brought into the Polkadot chain. And if they end up doing something that's really useful, uh, they'll probably stick around and become parachains uh, over time. So I think we are going to see a lot of innovation, but I think there's also a possibility that some of these early players will try to... Um, We'll try to do um, some forms of, uh, of sort of partnerships between themselves. It's going to be really interesting to see what how, how it turns out. Yeah, I mean, there's almost definitely going to be a project called Polka Mafia, isn't there, at some point in that system? I need to go buy the URL quickly or, or whatever. Um, and equally, you know, uh, seeing the Explorer to, to navigate and map all that is going to be super fascinating. So I uh, can't wait to see that happen. You also talk about chain mergers and acquisitions. So it, it, is, is that... When, is that talking about how these sovereignties as parachains will will interact? So you talked about it in a very collaborative way. It, it, could there be more aggressive acquisitions, mergers within parachains? And how, how would that work? Uh, I, I don't, I mean, in theory, sure. In theory, um, how would it work? Uh, well, basically these parachains each have governance um, governance systems within them. In theory, a parachain could buy a sufficient amount of, of tokens of another parachain um, in order to sort of basically like take over um, and, and be able to make uh, make its own governance um, uh, changes. And then at this point, it could um, it would basically be able to 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 decide how that parachain went forward. It would be able to, in principle, um, move its um, kind of basically like combine it's uh, combine the two very similar to how it works in the corporate world really um and it, I, I can't like there's all sorts of small sort of technical questions that pop into my head when i consider this but i i don't yeah i mean in theory it, it, it's 100 possible it's just uh whether whether you could buy up enough on the market i don't know whether you have to maybe find a few whales that solve the parachain from one of them. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how it would get to the point of controlling, let's say, 51% of the tokens of another parachain. But if it ever did, then yeah, for sure, it could, um, it could basically do whatever it wanted, which, which could include moving all of the everything off one parachain and bringing it into another and like integrating it into its existing systems. Wow. Yeah, that's... Um... That, that's a conversation that needs to happen over a pint, I guess. Um, so as a founder and as somebody that's leading different a, a business in, in parity, an organization like Web3, um, how do you stay benevolent, but at the same time give direction to to that open market and, and the experimentation and innovation that's going to be happening? Well, I, you know, I, mean, I don't think it's too difficult to stay benevolent. The question is whether you, um, yeah, whether, whether you rule... Uh, you know, if you're if you're going to be giving this direction, are you going to be able to, uh, I guess, to sort of get the buy-in from from those who it is that you're that you're sort of um, giving the direction to? So you always, in my mind, it's always worth considering yourself more of a kind of teacher almost than a than a you know a sort of traditional leader. Like, I mean, leadership has a number of things, but a number of sort of facets to it. But um, I think really important in this sort of open systems movement, open source movement, whatever you want to call it, is um, in terms of leadership, really explaining why it is that you're saying what you're saying. Um, so, and in that in that sense, you know, yeah, be, being a teacher, um, getting that intellectual buy-in, I think, is crucial. So, as a as a founder, I mean, you know, you've been through several cycles you know there's just been this big focus on infrastructure um do you think is there a is there a 
type of Web3 founder that would be successful? Do you think that's changing now? Does it need to change? We're doing different types of people coming to the system and contributing. Um, and how do you see the evolution of Polkadot? Do you think that, um, I go back to, I forget the number of people that were building or using various implementations of Polkadot. It, is there going to have to be this focus on middleware being built out by the ecosystem? And to what extent would Parity look to do that versus to allow the ecosystem to kind of just have that happen bottom up? Well, from the web, from my hat as president of the Web3 Foundation, uh, we really do want to engage with as many teams as possible um, and seed all of this stuff. From my hat as a person on the Polkadot and Kusama at Treasury Council, I'd say the same. We really want to ensure that those who are doing, who are really interested and enthusiastic about doing this work um, get, get supported accordingly. Um, and yeah, from my hat as sort of uh, as as the founder of Parity, then yeah, I'm I'm happy for us to um, uh, to do as much to take on as much as we can. Um, but at the end of the day, it's there's you know you can only focus on so much, and um, you know you should you should pick and choose what it is that you spend your time and your focus on, and and it should be that which you're really excited about, enthusiastic over, um, and you shouldn't try try and take on more than that which you really really are really want to do um and you should let other people other people do that as much as possible so i i you know yeah we want to build some tooling yes we want to sort of carry on building substrate and making it as great as possible um but you know the degree to which we do more than that is probably going to be a question of how well we can um scale out uh, more than how well we can scale up so um, and I, I think this is like a really crucial um, thing to, to, to remember within the Web3 ecosystem as a founder. It's like, you know, in my mind, you shouldn't really be trying to build the next sort of Google or Amazon or, or Microsoft where you've got ten, tens of thousands of employees working under you because that's not really in fitting with the decentralized nature of what you're building. So what are the big problems, challenges, opportunities that, that you want to have the ecosystem respond to. There's a lot of people looking at Polkadot. Um, as I said, there's a lot of money looking to go into projects that are building in Polkadot. Where do you think the opportunities are? Or, you know, what are the, the big challenges that you see um, that you would like solved? I think, you know, one of the biggest ones is using governance effectively. So we have these treasuries, they've got millions in them, and we really need to deploy this for the good of the ecosystem. So we need to build those tools um, and, and, and those uh, sort of systems, infrastructures, frameworks, so that people can really, uh, so we can do this capital allocation, so that we can, we can in a decentralized fa fashion, come to, um, come to deploy this, this, you know, this massive amount of capital that we've got um, for the good of the network. And that's, that's something that's still in its early days. Um, you know, we've seen other protocols, uh, Dash, I think, was, was one of the first that, that had this, but... Um, yeah, we, we, you know, we need to do, we need to do better. We need to really, we've got the basic building blocks for DAOs. So we really need to push forward. Um, and you know, we've got a few things, we've got like bounties, we've got tips, we've got a few sort of ways that this money, uh, this, this capital can be sort of deployed, allocated, but, um, it's only the tip of the iceberg and we really need to push forward in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of building, um, appropriate structure to, to actually be able to use it. Um, another one is is uh, is monitoring. Like I, I love monitoring tools. Um, so as much as possible, like, and I think a lot of people in the ecosystem like them. I know validators love mon monitoring tools. Um, and as we uh, as as we grow, as we have these, like, not just the Polkadot network and the Kusama network, but also another hundred, two hundred, how who knows how many um, sort of parachains running. We want, we're going to want to be able to monitor them. We're going to want tools for, for, for checking, uh, that this stuff is working properly. So I think there can, there's still a lot of, uh, room of a lot of innovation that can be done there with, uh, building these kinds of uh, pieces of tooling. And it's like, yeah, parity is doing some of this stuff, but again, we are, we're still only so many people. We can only still focus on so, so many things. So I think there's a lot of potential innovation there. Um, other than that, I mean, ah, there's, you know, the sky's the limit with, with regards to parachains. We've got, you know, DeFi chains and privacy chains and asset chains and 
smart contract chains, compatibility chains. And I think there's, um, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of potential for, um, more like social level chains, whether it's sort of, uh, reputation, um, and self-sovereign identity, or whether it's, um, like more like kind of, uh, collective management, uh, let's form groups, let's, let's, let's pool resources, um, DAOE kind of style, um, things. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of potential for using blockchain, um, to manage that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know, it, there's, there's a, there's a ton of potential stuff that can happen. And I, th I think the big value add isn't necessarily going to be any one of these, but when they start to hook up with each other and you end up with com uh, composite systems, you end up with, um, uh, you know, what we have, what we're seeing with DeFi and that because they're all in the same system, they can, they, you know, you've got four, five, six, seven things that are all sort of interacting with each other. And that's where the real value creation is. That's where the real innovation comes from. Um, and thankfully within Polkadot, you know, we've got, uh, uh, we've got parachains, we've got XCMP, we've got the cross-chain messaging formats. Um, so this, this is stuff that we are like nicely confident that we can really um, push forward. Uh, but um, the platform's only one thing. You also need to have these things that sit on the platform uh, that, 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 can, that want to talk to each other. And, uh, and that's, that's gonna be you know, key, um, a key uh, push forward. And so the big question, I, I kind of did a, a push out on Twitter, as I said earlier, for, for, for questions that were a load. Um, we're not going to have time to answer all of them. We might get a couple in. Um, so the big question, the repeat question was, you know, how does this coexist sit alongside Ethereum, whether it's Ethereum 1.0 or 2.0 um, or 3.0? So, so how does it coexist um, and looking at ethereum from a polkadot perspective of where you are now what do you see ethereum becoming will it will it be a, just a settlement layer in a in a kind of subset of DeFi, or how do you look at ethereum in the context of where polkadot might go i mean honestly at this point it's it's a really like obviously there's eth1 and for eth1 we want to uh, facilitate like that technology set or people that know that technology set as much as possible within Polkadot, which is why we have solidity to uh, WASM compiler, which is why we have um, a bridge system so that you can easily connect your Polkadot, uh, your Ethereum, open Ethereum private chains into Polkadot, which is why we have the um, Ethereum compatibility, the EVM compatibility system, and which is why we have the Ethereum mainnet bridge under development. So we've got these various ways that you can use Ethereum with Polkadot, you know, and, and, and it works in, in many of them, it works super, super transparently. It just, you know, you just deploy and it works. Um, so with regards to ETH1, I see Polkadot as being a sort of, um, a, a sort of big sort of system that can really um, magnify the effects of what's going on on the Ethereum mainnet and also facilitate everybody that has already been building on the platform to bring their stuff and, and have it sort of work underneath uh, or, or alongside uh, sort of other other systems uh, within Polkadot. Now, <clears throat> when you start saying, "Oh well, what about ETH2?" Then it's uh, then it's a much more difficult question to answer because ETH2 has evolved so much over the past. I don't know over its sort of lifetime. It's not really born yet, so it's difficult to call it really a lifetime. But over over the course that it's been an idea, um, it's evolved a lot. Um, and even some of the things that, that that some of the ETH2 researchers have come out with have made it look quite a lot like Polkadot, like, uh, you know, talking about how the ETH2 shards should have um, uh, domain uh, specialization functions within them so that they can do certain things much faster. Um, sounds quite a lot like, you know, a heterogeneous um, uh, multi-chain. So, I, you know, I mean, I, I think there's, there's still a lot of ideation going on with ETH2. Um, and I mean, they're kind of just about at the point of, 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 of you know, having this beacon chain. But I mean, that, that's step one, probably the easiest step of, of their five point thing. So it, it's going to be a long while in my mind uh, before um, before ETH2 is at a point that, that, that it's as useful as ETH1. And, um, and, you know, depending on precisely what features and functionalities they decide to put into ETH2 will determine 
to what degree it's sort of trying to sidle up as an as a as a copycat of Polkadot, or um, uh, uh, or whether it's like legitimately going to focus on just being a, a, a you know a scalable um, but otherwise pure smart contract chain version of uh, of ETH one and. I think if it's if it's the latter, then there's a lot of potential to uh, to collaborate to sort of you know build bridge and and have Ethereum two basically be a sort of premier smart contract um, uh, sort of part of of Polkadot. Um, but if it's if it's like if they sort of take a lot longer and they try and decide to bring in a lot of the Polkadot features and try to make it sort of the best possible thing of everything, um, then I think it's going to be a lot harder. Uh, you know. I think I think the two could could end up uh, potentially um, sort of being um, an either or sort of thing. So it's you know at this point it's really difficult to tell, but um, I think the future it, it could go either way. It, it could be that they are very much um, sort of uh, complementary, but it could be that they end up becoming uh, quite competitive. Gavin, thanks so much for your time and your candidness. As I said, um, I would love to do a retrospective on all the stuff we didn't get to talk about. Maybe we have to save that for a Web3 documentary at some point when, when the world's been transformed. But thanks again for your time and, and good luck with Polkadot. Thanks a lot, Danny. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. Thank you.